You're listening to the podcast Bible Companion series by author P.H. Thompson. This is a chronological Bible study going chapter by chapter, discovering Christ in all of Scripture. This is Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 1. Moses blesses the tribes. Having been told by God that he was to die on Mount Nebo after viewing the Promised Land, someone else records Moses' final words to Israel. It may have been written after he had departed for the mountain, since they wouldn't know exactly when he died, as God would bury him. After many warnings, Moses ends on a positive note, with a blessing on all the tribes. They really do have a bright future. For an unknown reason, all the tribes are blessed, except Simeon, perhaps because they will be absorbed into the territories of other tribes, like the Levites. It is similar to Jacob's deathbed blessing on his sons, recorded in Genesis 49. Therefore, these two speeches bookend the Exodus experience, the first right as the Israelites settled in Egypt, and the last just as they were about to enter Canaan after leaving Egypt. It had been several centuries since God promised Abraham his descendants would inherit the land. Now it was about to happen. The speech begins and ends with praise to God. After his death, he is referred to as Moses, the servant of God, or Moses, the man of God. And this is the first use of it in scripture. Some other messengers of God, like prophets, are also called by this title. Moses is called a prophet. And this is the blessing that Moses, the man of God, pronounced on the Israelites before his death. Verses 2-5, to Praise. He said, The Lord came from Sinai and dawned over them from Seir. He shone forth from Mount Paran. He came with myriads of holy ones from the south, from his mountain slopes. So these three mountains are associated with the giving of the law. Sinai is in the south, Seir on the northeast, and Paran on the north. God is described as the sun dawning on them and shining forth in his blessings through the giving of the law. He is accompanied by myriads of holy ones, probably a reference to angels, who were involved in the giving of the law. Surely it is you who love the people. All the holy ones are in your hand. At your feet they all bow down, and from you receive instruction. So in spite of how terrifying God was during the giving of the law, and in his judgments, they understood that he loved them. He is in control of all the creatures he has made, and they submit to him in worship. Because he loves them, they know that both the law and any discipline they receive are for their good and God's glory. The law that Moses gave us, the possession of the assembly of Jacob, He was king over Jeshurun when the leaders of the people assembled, along with the tribes of Israel. We saw in Deuteronomy 32.15 that God gives Israel the name Jeshurun, which means righteous. He will use it again in verse 26, as will Isaiah in Isaiah 44.2. Nowhere else in scripture is Moses referred to as a king, so this must refer to God as king over Israel. That the only sense that Moses is a king is in reference to his authority over the people 
and he prefigured the coming king who would also be a prophet like him. Jesus is a prophet, priest, and king. Verses 6 to 25, Blessing on the Tribes. In our egalitarian age, we feel everyone should be treated the same, but God doesn't do that. Each tribe will be in a different territory, facing unique challenges, so there is a distinctive blessing for each. The blessings begin with Reuben, the firstborn. Let Reuben live and not die, nor let his people be few. And this sounds like a desperate plea not to be wiped off the map of Israel. And this is because Jacob's blessing to Reuben's descendants on his deathbed was more of a curse based on the behavior of their forebear. Since he had slept with his father's concubine Bilhah, Genesis 35:22, Jacob said he would no longer excel in spite of being firstborn. He forfeited that status due to his sin. 1 Chronicles 5:1. Then, during the rebellion of Korah, Dathan and Abiram, recorded in uh, number 16, their numbers were greatly reduced again by almost 15,000. Throughout Israel's history, there are no prophets, kings, or people of note from the tribe of Reuben. But as long as they are still the people of God, they will be content. They did revive and thrive, numerically at least. At the beginning of the wilderness wanderings, this tribe numbered 46,500 men, over 20 who were able to go to war in addition to the rest. And this was about average for the size of the tribes which ranged from the smallest, Manasseh, 32,200, to the largest tribe, Judah, 74,600. And the first census total was 603,550. And even with all the wars and plagues and judgments for the final number, the final number after 40 years of wilderness wandering was 601,730. So this included variations among the individual tribes. In the last census, the tribe of Reuben numbered 43,730. And this he said about Judah. Hear, Lord, the cry of Judah. Bring him to his people. With his own hands he defends his cause. O be his help against his foes. So Moses prayed this tribe would be victorious in leading the other tribes in battle with the help of the Lord. As we've seen already, as Reuben decreased in influence, Judah increased, being the first tribe to lead into battle and the first to break camp, followed by Reuben. About Levi, he said, Your Thummim and Urim belong to your faithful servant. You tested him at Massa. You contended with him at the waters of Meribah. He said of his father and mother, I have no regard for them. He did not recognize his brothers or acknowledge his own children, but he watched over your word and guarded your covenant. For the Levites, who were the assistants of the priests, Moses prays for them to fulfill their tasks and for protection. The priests were also Levites, but the best way to remember the distinction is all priests are Levites, but not all Levites are priests. Only those descended from Aaron are priests, which is why it is called the Aaronic Priesthood. The Urim and Thummim were objects as part of the priestly garments and were used to determine God's will in a matter. The words literally mean lights and perfections, but what they actually looked like or how they were used is not clear. 
They seemed to answer questions that were asked of God. They were small enough to fit in the breastpiece of the high priest's robe over his heart. There is no record of their use after the exile. So Levi is called a faithful servant. They were tested and proven. They first came to the fore at the golden calf incident. They stood with Moses against the idolaters. They even fought against family members. That is the meaning of, He said of his father and mother, I have no regard for them. He did not recognize his brothers or acknowledge his own children, but he watched over your word and guarded your covenant. So because of it, God commended them and gave them as a gift to the priests to assist them. It also says he tested them at Massa and Meribah. These were two incidents when they had no water and grumbled against Moses and Aaron. He teaches your precepts to Jacob and your law to Israel. He offers incense before you and whole burnt offerings on your altar. Bless all his skills, Lord, and be pleased with the work of his hands. Strike down those who rise against him, his foes, till they rise no more. So the role of the Levites was also to teach. Ezra was a prime example of a teaching Levite. The Levites who offer incense and burnt offerings are the priests, who are also Levites. We may not feel we are gifted, although everyone has spiritual gifts. Yet the greatest gift is a relationship with God and the privilege of serving Him. The psalmist says, Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. So this relationship was what was promised to Benjamin. About Benjamin he said, Let the beloved of the Lord rest secure in him, for he shields him all day long, and the one the Lord loves rests between his shoulders. For this tribe, Moses hopes for rest, security, protection, and a loving relationship. It pictures a child on his father's shoulders, or a lamb carried by a shepherd. One aspect of this blessing would be the closeness of the tribes of Benjamin and Judah, a connection begun with the tribe's namesakes in Egypt, when Judah appealed for Benjamin's life and offered to be both his surety and his substitute. They would be given land north of Judah, near Jerusalem, where the temple was located. Benjamin and Judah would become the two southern tribes called Judah when the nation would split. The other ten would be in the north and be called Israel or Ephraim. About Joseph he said, May the Lord bless his land with the precious dew from heaven above and with the deep waters that lie below, with the best the sun brings forth and the finest the moon can yield, with the choicest fruits of the ancient mountains and the fruitfulness of the everlasting hills, with the best gifts of the earth, and its fullness and the favor of him who dwelt in the burning bush. Let all these rest on the head of Joseph, on the brow of the prince among his brothers. In majesty he is like a firstborn bull. His horns are the horns of a wild ox. With them he will gore the nations, even those at the ends of the earth. Such are the ten thousands of Ephraim, such are the thousands of Manasseh. So this assumes the reader knows who these original characters were. 
Joseph was sold into Egypt by his brothers, but God blessed him there and promoted him to be second only to Pharaoh. In that sense, he was a prince over his brothers. The two sons who were born to him in Egypt were Ephraim and Manasseh. Jacob, or Israel, their father, adopted them as his own. Because the tribe of Levi will not inherit territory of their own, Joseph's two sons take their place, making twelve tribes instead of thirteen. It sounds similar to Israel's blessing on them. Of the two sons, Ephraim, the younger son, would have greater military success than Manasseh, as the outworking of Jacob's blessing of the younger over the older. For them, Moses blesses with material prosperity and military might to compensate them for the Egyptian slavery and imprisonment of Joseph's early years. The valleys of Ephraim and Manasseh were laden with fruit. Both tribes had vast territory, with Manasseh on both sides of the Jordan. But material prosperity could lead to spiritual complacency, as Moses had warned, which it did. The book of Proverbs contains the prayer, Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread, which recognized the danger of wealth. It was the northern tribes that were the first to fall into idolatry and be exiled as a consequence of unfaithfulness. About Zebulun he said, Rejoice, Zebulun, in your going out, and you, Issachar, in your tents. They will summon peoples to the mountain, and there offer the sacrifices of the righteous. They will feast on the abundance of the seas, on the treasures hidden in the sand. So Moses links Zebulun and Issachar, the fifth and sixth sons of Leah, and prays that these two tribes would receive God's blessing in their daily lives, especially through their trade on the seas. Jacob had said of Zebulun, Zebulun will live by the seashore and become a haven for ships. His border will extend towards Sidon. About Gad, he said, Blessed is he who enlarges Gad's domain. Gad lives there like a lion, tearing at arm or head. He chose the best land for himself. The leader's portion was kept for him. When the heads of the people assembled, he carried out the Lord's righteous will and his judgments concerning Israel. So this tribe had large territory east of the Jordan and was a leader in gaining many military victories in Canaan. About Dan he said, Dan is a lion's cub springing out of Bashan. And this is unclear, but it is suggested that the tribe of Dan had the strength of a lion, and that's why they leaped from their southern territory to seize land in the north instead. In Genesis 49:17-18, this tribe is compared to a serpent. About Naphtali, he said, Naphtali is abounding with the favor of the Lord and is full of his blessing. He will inherit southward to the lake. And this tribe would enjoy God's favor, and have land west of Galilee and south of the northern Danites. About Asher, he said, Most blessed of sons is Asher. Let him be favored by his brothers, and let him bathe his feet in oil. The bolts of your gates will be iron and bronze, and your strength will equal your days. So the request is that this tribe would experience abundant fertility and prosperity. It pictures a foot-operated oil press. Asher's territory was famous for its olives. 
Verses 26 to 29 praise God for his uniqueness and the uniqueness of Israel. Moses concluded his blessings on the tribes with a reminder of the uniqueness of Israel's God. Here Israel is again called Jeshurun, which means righteous. There is no one like the God of Jeshurun, who rides across the heavens to help you and on the clouds in his majesty. The eternal God is your refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. He will drive out your enemies before you, saying, Destroy them. So Israel will live in safety. Jacob will dwell securely in a land of grain and new wine where the heavens drop dew. He is pictured as hurrying to help them when they are in distress. God is their refuge, a place to flee to for safety when they are in danger. They are upheld by his everlasting arms. And this sounds like Psalm 91, 4. He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. They have military victory only because he drives out their enemies before them. So not only is God unique, but so is Israel among the nations. Blessed are you, Israel. Who is like you, a people saved by the Lord? He is your shield and helper and your glorious sword. Your enemies will cower before you, and you will tread on their heights. And this pictures the military victories they will experience in Canaan. Earlier, Moses had challenged them to consider, Ask now about the former days, long before your time, from the day God created human beings on the earth. Ask from one end of the heavens to the other, Has anything so great as this ever happened? Or has anything like it ever been heard of? Has any other people heard the voice of God speaking out of fire as you have and lived? Has any God ever tried to take for himself one nation out of another nation by testings, by signs and wonders, by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, or by great and awesome deeds, like all the things the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your very eyes? Scarlet threads. So what scarlet threads or hints of Jesus Christ or application to the gospel do we find in this chapter? Moses was called the man of God. Other prophets also receive this title. In the New Testament, Paul calls Timothy, a young preacher, a man of God. It is a leader's role to bless his followers. The book of Hebrews tells us, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. From the time Moses was called, his whole life was in service to God. Jesus' concern was always for the good of his disciples even when he was under threat. Paul also said, So I will very gladly spend for you everything I have and expend myself as well. God's servants sit at his feet to receive instruction and to worship him. Mary of Bethany sat at Jesus' feet, listening to his teaching, and was commended for it. 
It was love that motivated God to send Moses and redeem Israel from slavery in Egypt. And it was love that motivated God to send Jesus to redeem us from our slavery to sin. Judah excelled while Reuben was demoted. When John the Baptist's disciples informed him Jesus was becoming more popular than he, he answered, He must become greater, I must become less. It was said of Judah, with his own hands he defends his cause. Jesus saved his people alone. He saw that there was no one. He was appalled that there was no one to intervene. So his own arm achieved salvation for him. His own righteousness sustained him. And But he has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Of Jesus it is said, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. And Jesus is from the tribe of Judah. The tribe of Levi were blessed with the gift of ministry. They were faithful in many ways and for a long time but they did not remain that way. Only Jesus is a faithful priest. Hebrews 2.17 Benjamin was promised a close relationship with God. Jesus is the only one who has experienced God's blessing in full. In Christ we have intimacy with God and every blessing. The sons of Joseph are blessed with the best gifts of the earth and its fullness and the favor of him who dwelt in the burning bush. And this reminds them of God's covenant name given at the burning bush. It is because of God's love and covenant that anyone is saved. Ephraim and Manasseh were blessed with material prosperity, but it led to idolatry. Only Jesus is an example of a person who used their wealth for the sake of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Asher was told, Your strength will equal your days. Jesus said, Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And Paul entreated God to remove his thorn in the flesh. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. Israel was in a privileged position among the nations because of their unique God who saved them. We are blessed beyond all others because we have been saved and adopted into the family of God. Do we really understand and appreciate this privilege? You've been listening to the podcast Bible Companion series by author P.H. Thompson, if you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and comment. Continue listening for Deuteronomy chapter 34. May God bless the study of his word.